I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey, this is Steve Hofstetter, and you're listening to Rebel Radio, which you probably already know because you're the one listening to it. So if you don't know that, you have some issues that you should fix. Fuck you. Uh, is, it, is it Josh? It's Josh, right? Yeah, fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. We got a treat for you today. I'm... I'm really happy with the way this interview came out. I think uh, I think we've been having some some good interviews lately. This one I think is really exciting. I think we we got a bunch of um, great lessons that we can all use, and it's also really entertaining. My man Steve Hofstetter is a super talented comedian, uh, really funny dude. He's the host of the Fox TV show Laughs. He uh, kills it on social media with videos of his comedy, especially the series he has where he just takes out hecklers, people heckle him in the middle of a show, and um, and he pretty much destroys them. He's also a dude who seems to get mistaken for Edward Snowden from time to time. Um, we, we talk a lot about the heckler thing in our interview. Uh, really, you know, I think it's a good metaphor for haters or just obstacles in general, things that stand in the way of you achieving your goals. And kind of, he tells us how he really, um, although he makes a, a big thing of it on social, right, his, his focus is really on the crowd, on making sure that they have a good time rather than destroying this one individual that's standing in his way. And I, I just think that's such a great lesson, uh, like I said, that we all can learn from. He also talks about how he tailors his set. He kind of reads the room before he goes out on stage and he tailors it real time to, uh, to match the energy of the room. Great stuff coming up with Steve Hofstetter. But first, let's listen to the EDM.com track of the week. I've been, I've been, I've been. 
Yo, that was Control with a track called Lunatic, our EDM.com track of the week. Get over to EDM.com after you listen to this interview with Steve Hopstetter. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for being here, man. You, you're um, you're a funny dude. I, Thank I you. like. I've been enjoying your stuff on YouTube. Thanks. And I think Clint Schaff connected us. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And Clint's become my conduit to all kind of cool shit that I didn't know about. Yeah, I've not. God, I've known him way too long. Is that right? I've known him. Uh, coming up to twenty years now. Oh wow. Nice. Yeah, I think we're around seventeen, eighteen years. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, Clint, Clint's a good dude. He's. He sat in on, on an interview and just watched. I don't know why he wanted to do that. Yeah. But, uh, oh, he likes learning stuff. Absolutely. Know? Yeah, that's awesome. So anyway, I've been, I've been enjoying your stuff, and I'm, I'm curious to kind of just learn how you got to all of this. Yeah. Um, so tell me about your first... Do you are, remember? We, are we starting? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're All in. right, yeah. it's live. All right, cool. Um, I don't know. We've been hanging for a little while, <laughs> you know. How's... Um, what's the first comedy you remember? Is there a, a comedian that, like, Turned you on at the beginning? I ever saw. Yeah. Well, my dad used to play me old comedy albums. So I grew up listening to... It's funny, the only one that I really liked... So I liked uh, Carlin, Mm -hmm. and I liked Dick Gregory. Okay. And the ones that I didn't like, that he liked, Cosby, I actually have never been a fan of. Is that right? Yeah. I always thought it was just so easy. and Even at like seven, I was Uh. like, ugh, so derivative. Really? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I just found it to be so generic. Yeah. And uh, I feel vindicated. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and uh, then also uh, Jose Jimenez, uh-huh. Bill Dana. You didn't like, you didn't like that. Yeah, I just, I, I mean, even as a kid, I was like, this is racist. Yeah. <laughs> sure. um, but you know, it's a different, different generation. Yeah. You know, I understand why it worked at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved Carlin, um, and I, and I, I loved Dick Gregory. And then the first thing that really stood out to me. I think I was like 11 or 12, and I was in a barbershop reading a copy of, I think it was like Rolling Stone was the mm-hmm. article. Um, but I was reading a magazine in a barbershop, and they did they had a profile on Bill Hicks. Mm. And I still remember the jokes from that article. That yeah. was the turning point for me, where nice. I was just like, this is the kind of comedy I'm looking for. Yeah. And were you, were you thinking, well, what, what was the first show you saw live? First show I saw live was at Stand Up New York. Um, I went to Columbia undergrad, yeah, and they used to call us up all the time and just be like, "Hey, your fraternity has won thirty free tickets." Be like, "Really? We won thirty yesterday, also." <laughs> just you know, they had this telemarketing campaign going on mm-hmm. in New York. So, um, oh, you know what? Actually, sorry, I'm wrong about that. I forgot the re- the first first one I saw was an amateur night. Oh yeah. Um, I was a freshman. We were walking around Times Square. It was one of those things we like. We don't know what we want to do today, so let's just walk around Times Square and find something stupid to do. Yeah. And uh, they were passing out flyers. They were like barking people in, mm-hmm. and we went into this amateur night. And like some of them were very funny, and some of them were fucking terrible. But it's crazy. That actually is one of the things that made me. I, I had written a bunch of jokes when I was younger. Yeah. Just to because my brother was doing that, mm-hmm. and I liked watching stand up on TV. But that was the first time that I was like, I'm gonna write a set and do an amateur night and really yeah and yeah. i wrote a bunch of jokes down and still didn't do it for three years after that yeah so you weren't obviously you weren't thinking that this was a career no at not at point. all i started doing improv when i was 13 to impress a girl yeah. uh didn't work 
<laughs> and but I loved it. I loved improv very much. And uh, I'm actually uh, I just finished the hopefully final draft of a book I have coming out in March, where it's basically about high school and about how I sucked and comedy was kind of my way out. Mm. Like I found comedy as as my voice and how to yeah you know I you guess, sucked not at comedy. I sucked just at everything. A, yeah, I sucked at life. Yeah, uh, I sucked at a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but I found comedy is kind of the way out. But I had never intended to be a comic. I just thought this is something fun to do and this is, you know, a way to express myself. What did you think your career was going to be? I was going to be a sports writer. Okay. Yeah, I loved, uh, I loved writing. And you, you kind of are. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I still, I still and... do some stuff with it. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm roasting Pete Rose on, oh, really? uh, on the 10th. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. I have so many... Oh, he's going to hate me so much. I'm sure. It's great. Have you done roasts before? Uh, I've written for roasts before. Yeah. I've never I've never done one. Uh-huh. Um, but actually, just yesterday, I wrote for one, uh, for a sports one, uh, Arian Foster. Uh-huh. Um, so he was he was roasting, um, oh, God, who was it? Um, Wade Davis, I think? Or mm. I, forget, I forget who. One of the other Texans. Yeah. Um, and so he... I, I've gotten to know him through comedy. He's a big fan of comedy, and so like I worked on his, his stuff with him, and that was fun. Rebel Radio is supported by Blue Apron. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They make it easy for you to prepare incredible meals at home with um, meat, seafood, produce that comes from sustainable sources. They deliver just the right amount for each recipe so there's no food waste. And uh, they make it pretty easy to have a great meal for under $10 a person. It's, it's fast, convenient, affordable, and it's delicious. We've been doing it here. Uh, well, Christy's been doing most of it. But I got in there a little bit and cooked up a couple meals. And, and it's great. In, in under 40 minutes, we're eating. Uh, we're having a great time cooking together. Highly recommend you check it out. And um, if you're the type of person that gets bored... There's uh, new recipes every week, and they never repeat the same meal in a year. So it, it works out pretty nicely. Check out this week's menu, and you get your first three meals free with free shipping just because you're a Rebel Radio listener. So go to blueapron.com rebel. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Go to blueapron.com rebel. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I've asked this to other comedians that have been on the show, but how do you, how is writing for someone else different from writing for yourself? Um, you, you can't write in your delivery. You can't write in your voice. Yeah. You know, you have to write, um, I guess, weird to say, you have to write almost more generically. You have to mm-hmm. write jokes that don't rely on delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to, it's, with someone like Arian, he's not a comic. He's very right. funny, but he's sure. not a comic. So it's a little different. If you're writing for another comic, though, you're writing in their voice. Right. You know, you're doing what you can. And it's, it's similar to writing fiction, though. You know, it's similar mm-hmm. to writing a script mm-hmm. because you're writing in a character. Mm-hmm. And so you have to know your characters really well when you write a screenplay or when you write a TV show. And so it's similar to that. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said earlier about, yeah. uh, about being in school. And so how, how do you know at that age that you suck? 
I didn't know that I sucked at that age. I, I mean, I, I thought that life sucked. Okay. <laughs> you know what okay. I mean? I didn't yeah. realize it was my fault. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't your fault. I, I mean, it was partly. You know, I was... I was I was desperate. I was trying too hard. Yeah. You know, and there's so my publisher wouldn't let me call the call it this because they thought it was very insensitive. But I wanted to call my book. It may or may not get better, mm-hmm. because the the premise is it doesn't automatically get better. It gets right. better if you don't wallow in your own shit, and if you don't, you know, if you find what you're good at, you stay in your lane, and you know, opportunity increases. Uh, you know, bullies take on different forms. Yeah. There, there's a chance for it to get better, mm-hmm. but it only gets better if you put the work in. How'd you learn that? Uh, through a lot of trial and error, and by putting the work in. Yeah. You know, and and by you know self-analyzing a lot. I mean, that's what it takes to be a comic. It's you have to co- constantly self-analyze. That's why it's always funny to me when someone's doing comedy and they're delusional. Because mm. I'm like, how do you analyze the world when you don't even know yourself? Delusional in the sense of like they just think they're hilarious and like other people don't get it, or uh, that's one delusion. Okay. Um, I so I have a theory that um, we we exist in the world as the sum total of how everyone else sees us. Okay. So what we what we do, our actions, the way we speak, the way we dress, that contributes to how people see us. But how we see ourselves does mm-hmm. not change how other people see us. So the chasm between how we see ourselves and how other people see us, that is delusion. Yeah. And the smaller that chasm is, the more well-adjusted of a person you're going to be. Mm. And that's true on stage as well. Because how the crowd sees you is yeah. who you are on stage. Well, that's part of why I love comedy. And especially, like, for this show that's supposed to kind of be about business and yeah. and other stuff. That, like, in what I mean is, like, comedy is... It's a metaphor for the rest of life and business except yeah. that you get feedback instantly and you get it honestly right and and not you always do. but let's say on the whole right that that you know if you're paying attention you should yeah. know how you did that night you know while yes. it's happening immediately after and you should also know how that crowd is in relation to another crowd sure like i I did a show the other day, one of the weirder shows I've done. Because half the crowd, or not half the crowd, it's about 30 people in a very small room. It's like Mm. 30 seats, but it's 30 people. Now, six or seven of them were a bachelorette party. And they were just abhorrent people. Just everything was about them. They didn't know how to shut up. You know, everything that could go wrong with a bachelorette party is like, that's them. They're, you know, wearing stuff that's flashing, that, you know, just... Right. Just gross. One of these things of like, I get it. It's your special night, but yeah. other people still exist in the world. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, ten of the people were Michael Phelps and his friends. Uh huh. It was so bizarre because we're in this. It's L- literally Michael. Michael Phelps. Phelps. Yeah, yeah. Literally Michael Phelps and yeah. his friends. Yeah. The best Olympian of all time uh-huh. from any country in history. Sure. And a bunch of his friends, and they were very respectful and wonderful. Um, and then the rest of the crowd, so this was in a wine bar in the Four Seasons. Okay. So the rest of the crowd is like very rich, very like, I always I always joke when I play crowds like that, that like you guys don't know how to watch comedy because you usually send other people to do things for you. <laughs> so like you would normally just be like, did I have fun at the show tonight? I did? Oh, thank you so much. And so, 
And also, they don't relate to problems the same way that other people do. Although, yeah. I have a joke where in the joke, I'm flying first class in the joke. And it only the only reason it's important in the joke is because I'm sitting toward the front of the plane so I can see everyone who walks by me. Mm-hmm. And when I tell the joke normally, I say I'm sitting toward the front of the plane. And in that room, I was just like, I was flying first class because they were all just like, oh, yes, yes, that's how we do it. <laughs> but anyway... Um, so that crowd, like, I could only do jokes that required not a ton of attention span because you've got really the only good audience in the crowd is, like, Phelps and Friends. Mm-hmm. And the Bachelorettes are barely listening. Mm-hmm. At one point, two of them leave. They come back with a random dude in the hallway. I was like, great, this guy is going to try to talk to them. He has no, he doesn't want to be at the show. He's just trying to fuck these two idiots. Right. And so uh, I'm doing, like, I'm doing, like, quicker, shorter stuff. And you can't look at that room and be frustrated when a joke doesn't work. Sure. Because your your goal in that kind of room is get out of there alive. Right. You know, succeed, get enough laughs. Yeah. You know, get a picture with Michael Phelps. I mean, that's the goal in that sure. room. So. So how do you? So you walk out on stage. Yeah. Or you're you're standing in the back watching. On floor. The, right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So my point is, you see the room. Yes. And you figure out what kind of room you're in. Yes. What's your process? How do you then adjust the approach to match the room? Um, at this point, I've done it enough that it's not even really a thought process as much as it's automatic. Yeah. Um, the, I guess the only thought process is, okay, cut the long stories. Mm. And there's one story in, in specific that I've been working on that's like, my killer material now, but you need to pay attention from start to finish because <laughs> so much of it is about the payoff at the end, yeah. and the payoff at the end doesn't matter unless you get the little parts in the beginning. Sure. And so the thing I was thinking of is, okay, I still want to work on that, but I'm doing a half hour, so let me do 20 minutes of like shorter, easier stuff, more one-linery stuff, yeah. stuff that you don't need to build on. You could just jokes that work individually, mm-hmm. and then once I have them enough and they trust that I'm funny, especially because the comic before me, who's very funny, hated them so much. That he he spent a lot of his set just, just being yeah, like yeah. I hate you all fuck this place you know sure and so I was like okay I gotta I gotta win him back a yeah, little bit yeah sure yeah that's hilarious yeah it's hard to it's hard to pay attention to a long story when you have a little strap to your head mm. I think that's a good rule in life in general <laughs> absolutely what's that is that in Genesis yeah or yeah. is that yeah 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 I always forget if it's in Gen- Genesis or Deuteronomy <laughs> I get them confused sometimes um, what was your first time on stage. First time on stage was my senior year of college. First time as a stand-up on stage. My senior year of college, um, I had gone to a party at a place called the Underground Lounge in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was just a bar. You know, party is like, it was my friend's birthday. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple of us went out. And they have, like, this side room where they they were doing comedy. And we were like, oh, let's go see the show. And so we did. And afterward, I talked to one of the guys and... Because I had been having this itch for a while, and and so then uh, he did what any, uh, you know, struggling poor comedian would do, and charged me for lessons because uh-huh. I didn't know any better. Sure. And so I took at the time I had like a whole bunch of change, like I just kept putting it into like mm-hmm. a jar, and so I took it to a like coin Sparkles star. Like bottle or some shit. Yeah. 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 I took it to a coin star and. Uh, I had 90 bucks, which was enough nice. for three $30 sessions. Okay. And uh, and at the end of it, you know, he put me on his show. Yeah. 
And I was so excited because I was like, ah, Saturday night, prime time. I didn't realize that it's just like, no, he knows I'm going to bring a bunch of friends because right. I, I go to college a couple blocks away. Yeah. And because I'm paying him money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's right. why. Of course. But the, the, the first show went well um, because I really prepared. Yeah. The second show, I did well ad-libbing how it wasn't going well. Mm-hmm. And I actually said the words out loud, and I am so ashamed of this. I actually said the words out loud, I can't bomb. Because I figured, oh, when I'm not doing well, I have these funny off-the-cuff uh-huh. jokes about how I'm not doing well, and then they like me again. Yeah. And the third time, it was like the universe heard me say that. Right. I was like, I'm sorry, what now? And uh, the third time, I bombed so hard. Wow. So hard that I was I was hosting, and within a minute, I got off stage. Yeah. Within a minute. That's bad when you know like you that gave up. It's, it's I gave up. Yeah. It's the only time I've, I've never not, like, I've ever not done my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just bailed, and I didn't know that that was a terrible thing. I just figured that, like, oh, I'm hosting, you know what, I'm just going to regroup, and I'm going to think about this while the next guy's up, and I'm yeah. going to try to do better. And oh, the first guy who went up was so mad, the, the, because I just sure yeah you I left did, him yeah you left him hanging yeah yeah it was bad. So um, how do how do you pick yourself back up from that? Um, you cry a lot. You, yeah. No, I uh, I I don't know. Like, did did you think? Uh, you know, I know that we're talking about a long time ago, but like, did you go well? Okay, that was it. I'm now. Now, what am I going to do? Because that's done. Or did you know that you were going to push through that? If that was my first choice, if that was my first set, I don't know if I ever would have got on stage again. Yeah. But because I had had the ghosts of good sets mm-hmm. already, like the two that went well. Yeah. Um, and I already had another set the next day. Mm. Um. I think it was just like, oh, well, I guess I'll, you know, like this sucks and I hope it doesn't happen again. And then the fourth one I did, eh, but it was enough of a difference okay. that I could, in my mind, just be like, oh, I had a bad night. Yeah. And you thank God for that because otherwise, sure. you know, yeah. I, I wouldn't have, yeah, yeah, wouldn't have been a comic. No, I mean, these are, these are like, I mean, everyone goes through this, right? Not yeah. exactly the same way, but, but to some extent. Yeah, they go through this, and I think you know. Obviously, the people that succeed are the ones that find some something in them to persevere. Um, yeah, I I think that, um, I think the moment I finally realized I was going to be a comic, I was about six months in, mm. and I was just doing it. I was doing it. I was poor. Yeah. I couldn't find another job. Yeah, and I was I was basically like getting paid to flyer. Uh-huh. For the shows, so yeah, I could, yeah. you know, and I would get five minutes on the show because I would flyer, and uh, so I was just doing it because I didn't know what else to do with my life. And then I was playing some colleges. I was collegehumor.com's first writer. Oh wow! So I had, so I got some college gigs, and they paid okay. Yeah. And so I, I was at MIT with two of my buddies, and they both went up, and the crowd sucked. <laughs> That crowd was just so tight. They weren't laughing at anything. Yeah. I mean, it was not a great performance environment. We were in like an auditorium style classroom mm-hmm. that sat like 400 people and there were like 30 there. The lights were up. I mean, yeah. it was everything that at the time I didn't realize that like, oh, these are problems. Sure. Because um, at the time I was just like, 
this is a show, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, while they're bombing, I'm waiting to go up, and I'm sitting there going, oh, let me at them. I'll get them. And I realized that I have been a marginal athlete my whole life. Mm. But I never wanted to be up with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. You know, I never wanted mm -hmm. that pressure. There's that phrase, winners want the ball. Right. I never did. Yeah. Because I always wanted to be like in the on-deck circle being like, oh, you know, I could have. It's good we won, but ah, I didn't get my shot, you know. And right. so that was the first time I realized that, like, I want the ball. Yeah. Like, I believe in myself enough that I think I can do this. And that is... We had been talking the day before about how I always referred to myself as a writer and not a comedian. Mm -hmm. And that night, that happened, and I in the car ride on the way back, I was like, all right, I'm a comedian now. Yeah. Was that... Um, was, was that... Did you figure all that out on your own, or were there people helping you... I mean, I would always listen to other people, yeah. um, but it's not like anyone, you know, took me aside and was like, here's how it works, kid. Yeah. Um, I did have, you know, good mentors. I, you know, call them comedy older brothers. Uh -huh. um, who, who are those uh, Pete Dominic and Eddie Ift in particular. Okay. Um, Eddie was the first person to, uh, it was very funny. He came over to me. I had I'd done a set and he came over to me. He's like, you have, you have smart material. You have, you know, you, it's good writing. And which is what you say to someone who's like, who's got potential, but not there yet, sure. you know? Yeah. And so I start blabbering on about like, well, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer and blah, blah, blah. And Eddie just puts a hand on my shoulder and goes, shut up and take the compliment. Yeah. And I was like, okay, thank you. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, I still talk to him a lot. We still, <laughs> uh, I talked to him just the other day. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Pete Dominic actually, uh, he, I, I, you know, I was very timid in this world. I was very scared of the whole thing. And, and there was a comic. So I produced a show. And there was a comic um, named Todd Lynn, who mm -hmm. is no longer with us. Um, and he was, uh, they say that if you can't say anything good about the dead, don't say anything at all. I disagree with that. Mm. Uh, I think when someone's an asshole, it's okay to talk about how they're an asshole. Them dying, I guess it means they're not going to be more of an asshole than they were because they're right. asshole this is complete sure um but this guy was just a just a horrible dude yeah. and he um so i was producing a show and at the time he had like some small part on some show on upn this is how long ago it was <laughs> uh so uh the I'm mighty UPN. Show. yeah the yeah the, uh, the the i guess the precursor to the cw right. so when yeah when wb and cw merged uh -huh. or when wb and upn merged to create cw right. upn was like where the bad shows came from yeah so uh he's so he's got like this small part he's not a big deal um but he definitely thinks he's a big deal mm -hmm. and so he I, he's walking in this hallway i'm producing the show at the dark hallway my job is to be like are you here to see the show tonight? And, you know, and I say that, and then he steps into the light, and I go, oh, Todd, sorry about that. Do you want to come in? He wasn't on the show. He had right. just stopped by. Uh -huh. And But I did eventually recognize him. I did say, come on, man. I yeah. was nice to him. He kept giving me shit about it. I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, right. you, you were in a dark hallway. Like, yeah, what yeah. do you want from let me? Let it go. Yeah. And he wouldn't let it go. So then I'm doing, an, I'm doing another show that he's on, and I have my family come to see me. And he goes up to the producer and is like, I don't want this kid on the show. No way. Yeah. Oh, man. And I, 
I was like, I was like crestfallen. I was like, what, what's wrong? You know, and the producer who understands that like some of the tickets are sold to my family is sure. like, no, he's, he's on the show. Yeah. And so, but he just kept giving me shit. And Pete, who's not a big guy, and mm-hmm. Todd is a big guy, or was a big guy. Now I assume he's much smaller. Um, so Pete steps in between us and, like, sticks up for me and says to Todd, like, you don't remember when you were new? Yeah. Why would you treat people like this? We all were new. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I didn't really know Pete at the time. I had talked to him maybe once before. And it was just such a, a wonderfully heroic moment. Mm. And, and you know, something I'll never forget. And actually, and it was great because I got a chance to both pay it forward and pay it back. Because with, uh, with Pete, um, he... So I, I ended up with a show on Sirius Satellite Radio, mm-hmm. and Pete was a regular on the show. Nice. And then from that, he got his own show. And then from that, he got a regular role. Not only does he have his own show on Sirius, still to this day, but he's also regular on CNN because of the show on Sirius. And oh, so, cool. like, yeah. which was great. That's awesome. And meanwhile, with Todd, uh, I found myself opening for him. Uh, I was featuring, and he was headlining in Montclair, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the crowd there... Like, I I did well with that crowd. I lived in Montclair. I knew some of those people. Mm. And so uh, I went up. I had a great set. One of the better sets I had that year. Yeah. And I did a lot of material about growing up with a black sister and dealing with racism mm. uh, that way. And, like, Montclair is a pretty affluent white crowd. And then Todd goes up, and he still hates me. Uh-huh. This is five, six years later. He still hates me. And he uh, he goes up and he go and he just starts be like that cracker don't know a fucking thing about racism that white motherfucker you know wow. and meanwhile like most of the crowd is also crackers yeah. and but they also more importantly they liked me mm-hmm. I just did well and so he then proceeded to bomb for forty five minutes because he just went up and like the nice kid that they just were rooting for he yeah. trashed yeah. and he ate shit because of it. So that's poetic. Uh, yeah, but you know, may he rest in peace. <laughs> well, when I mean, that's that's one of the things that I like about your your comedy is that uh, you know you face these things head on. Thank you. Right, like, and and I know that you know part of um, your fame online, at least, is is about hecklers. Yeah, and it's something that you know every comedian faces, and um, and most people, you know, it's like most people get through it, right better or worse some sure. some better than others but you've like totally embraced it and you know made it kind of i think part of what your comedy is about right well my my comedy is about the reason it dovetails it dovetails well with the heckler stuff is because i am i believe i am harsh but appropriately harsh mm-hmm. um my comedy comes from compassion sure so I'm not mean to people who don't deserve it, but when someone deserves it, I'm fucking brutal. Yeah. And so I think so that dovetails well with the heckler stuff because it's justice. It's yeah. um you know, it's someone trying to take the spotlight away from me. It's someone trying to take the experience away from the rest of the crowd. Yeah. And just I mean, imagine if you went to go see you know, imagine if you went to go see Led Zeppelin in concert and you just started playing guitar. Mm-hmm. Like, right. what a fucking dick. Yeah. It's very clear that that person's a dick. Sure. So when you go see a comedian 
if you just start to try to tell Joe, like, the rest of the audience is going to look at you and be like, shut up, dick. Mm -hmm. We didn't come here for this. Right. You're, you're drowning out what we came here to see. And so uh, I guess embracing that, you know, I, I, I lean into it. I would rather do a show without hecklers. Of course. Um, yeah. But when it happens, it's a skill I'm glad I have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, back to sort of comedy as a metaphor, right? I think, you know, hecklers are bullies. Yeah. Right. And, and I think everybody can relate. Not everyone can relate to being on stage telling jokes. Right, but everyone can relate on some level to having that experience of somebody fucking with you. Everybody who's ever worked with a with another human being, yeah, has wanted to turn to someone and be like, <laughs> "Shut up, Carol." Right, like there, there is we ha we all have that in us, and yeah. so well, Carol's a bitch. Clearly, she's the worst. Yeah. And so, when you're able to do that. By the way, there's someone listening right now named Carol. Be like, what do I do? We have a lot of listeners named Carol, what it turns out. Yeah. It's really weird. Uh, not every Carol is bitch. Just most. That, mo most that, of them. Look, all right. There's, there's, a great, there's a great number of Carols that are horrible people. So, uh, but there's also a great number of everyone yes. <laughs> who's a horrible person. The, uh, but, but to have someone be able to do that. Like, I had a clip. The clip I put up this morning wasn't really a heckler clip, but it was... Someone trying to take over the show. I, mm -hmm. I close my shows with Q&As. Yeah. And to give people a chance to participate and a chance to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with me if they want. That's cool. In a controlled environment yeah. where it's not taking away from the material. It's just like an extra little like, yeah. here's the fun part. You can play around. And it creates a lot of great clips for, for my YouTube. I'm sure. And so this one guy, so I was like, does anyone have any questions? And he just goes, do you have the time? And so <laughs> I paused for a second. He's like, oh, I'm just trying to be funny. And I was like, well, how'd that go for you? Yeah. And so then later on, his girlfriend asks, her question is, how do I get him to stop asking stupid questions? <laughs> and I say, why are you afraid he's going to propose? Right. And That's awesome. the comments on the YouTube are like, holy shit, what did he do that, to make you that brutal to him? Yeah. And I was like, he, he, tried to, he tried to take the spotlight. And I was showing him what attention actually feels like. Yeah. You know, if, yeah. if he wants to, you know, if you want to do a duo act with me, that's fine. Sure. You know, but if you want to just try to, oh, I'm going to be dumb and funny, it's like, right. well, let's see how this turns out for you. Sure. And, and I think sometimes, like, you know, that's part of the, the game for some people, right, is to, like, sit in front and get fucked with. Yeah. And, you know, I like sitting in the back and just enjoy the show and, you know, keep my mouth shut. But other people yeah. approach it differently, right? There are people who who they don't care if they're well-liked, they just care that someone has an opinion about them. Yeah. Which is so weird to me. I can't yeah. put myself in that brain space. Sure. Like, I can't put... And I, I get the people who are like, oh, yeah, it was fun with the back and forth, and I lost, and you got me, you uh -huh. know? Yeah. But the people who are just like, who want to be the villain, right? who want to be... Yeah. It's... I mean, maybe that's the delusion. Maybe that's the, you know, the idea. I mean, I've had people come up to me after a show where they... You know, they heckled, I slaughtered them, and then they come up and they're like, wasn't that funny what we did? And I was like, we didn't do anything. <laughs> right. You got run over by my car. Sure. That doesn't, you weren't part of that. You, you know, you jumped in front of my car and uh -huh. I kept driving. Well, I imagine, though, you kind of, because of your act, because you've embraced yeah. this, right, that you've sort of also put yourself out there. Well, so but no, I imagine... one, no one's tried on purpose, though. Really? No one has. That's surprising. It, it hasn't happened yet. Okay. The only time, there was one thing that was close where a guy, 
like I could tell he was getting a little chatty. Yeah. And I just said to him, I go, hey, man, I know you're excited. This isn't what's going to happen right now. Right. And if I ever got the sense that anyone was doing it on purpose, I wouldn't put the clip up because yeah. I wouldn't reward that behavior. Right. I have had it happen where someone has brought an asshole friend that they mm, knew was going to fuck with that's me. That's funny. Because, like, they're just like, Carol's an idiot. Yeah. It's always Carol. And so uh, so there, there was once, like, in Dallas, this clip where this woman just kept, she was so drunk and so dumb, and she just kept yelling out that, like, she loved me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, let's do it quietly then. And I was like, do you know my, my, are you familiar with my work? She's like, yeah, it's great. And I was like, well, you're in it now. Yeah. Like, you're seeing it happen live. And yeah. not from the end, you're going to want to see it happen. But she, I, like, talking to them and talk, you know, like, I really got the sense that they were fans and right. they brought this one idiot. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because they knew she was going to be that. Yeah. We all know someone like that. Yeah, sure. Like, if someone were to say to me, you know, we're going to have a contest where can you bring the most belligerent audience member without them knowing they're supposed to be belligerent? Yeah. And I would be like, oh, yeah, I know exactly who to bring. Yeah, yeah. We, we all have that. So, okay, thinking about this and your approach yeah. to, to hecklers, right? What can the rest of us learn about obstacles to our success? Interesting. Um, first of all, don't get angry. Hmm. Um, if I was angry on stage, I wouldn't, I wouldn't win. Because it would get to me. Um, The thing that I do, and and this is a very non-specific thing, but the principle of it to me is if someone's running at you to fight you and you throw a punch, you're going to hurt your hand. Mm -hmm. But if you step aside and let them fall, you are untouched and they are injured. You're a ninja. So basically, yeah. that's what you have to do. Yeah. You have to let let them let their own car- let their own weight carry them down. Hmm. And so the other thing is try to understand where it's coming from. Um when you know there was a guy who kept yelling out all these I hate cliché, I hate like not cliché but sentences that have no meaning. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. You know, tell us how you really feel. Yeah. Tell us how you really feel is one of the ones that I hate the most. Because it's like, that is exactly what I was doing. (laughs) So what you're saying when you say tell us how you really feel is, you have an opinion about this, and it's a strong opinion, and I don't have strong opinions about things, so this is making me uncomfortable. Right. So just if you're uncomfortable, just keep your mouth shut. Sure. So this one guy did both of those. And... Instead of just being like, you fucking dumbass, you know, what I did is I said, I was like, what did you want the reaction to be when you said that? Mm -hmm. You know, what was the goal here? And then they have to sit back, but what the goal? I just, I didn't know. You know, and then they look much dumber. So if someone is, you know, being an asshole at work, for me, it's not about, it's not about confrontation. It's not about head to head. It's about give them enough rope to let them hang themselves. Mm-hmm. Because what it really is with the crowd is the crowd needs to hate them more than I do. Yeah. Once the crowd hates them more than I do, I can say anything I want and get away with it. Sure. Um, I once told a woman that I hoped her husband left her and she died alone. <laughs> and the crowd like, applauded because they were like, well, that's the nicest thing I thought. You know, I right. thought way worse. Sure. And so similarly in life, I think, is if someone's being an asshole, 
let them be an asshole publicly. Get everyone else on your side yeah. before you verbally hit back. I mean, I think that's so interesting because it, it speaks to like, you know, watching your comedy, I don't know that someone would say, oh, that guy's exercising restraint right now, right? <laughs> but, but clearly you are because yeah. you could just yell, you know, you could be a Michael Richards, right? And just, Absolutely. You know, yell horrible things at people yeah. that are completely not related to making the rest of the crowd laugh, right? And usually, usually I'll let them get away with something once um, so that when I go back in on them, I'm like, enough already. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll say something like, you know, I'll hear them say something and I'll brush it off. I'll go, I know what you said, but it was probably stupid. Mm-hmm. And then I just move back on and... If the crowd sees me as trying to defend them, as as you know, do, doing what I can to save the show, mm-hmm. then they are appreciative of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is fun. I'm definitely. I think. I think the untrained eye would look at it and just be like, "Yeah, he doesn't show restraint at all." And that's sure. what I like about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. But it actually is. I show temporary restraint right. until there's enough, and then I can swing. Well, and I think what you're saying is that regardless of who, what one person is saying, your your focus is on the crowd. Yes. Right? It's not on that person. And I think for comedians or, or anyone in a similar situation who who makes it about that person, yeah. you lose. Yes. I When I'm up there, like, look, whether someone heckles or they don't, check's going to clear. <laughs> yeah. I'm already, I'm already paid. My night is already fine. Yeah. However... The people who paid $20 for that ticket, their night depends on whether or not the show goes well. Mm-hmm. And so, and add that up, two, 300 people who are all depending on me to make their night go well. Mm-hmm. I can't, I don't want to let them down. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. So when you do the, the Q&A, and, and obviously there, it sounds like there's an element of freestyle yeah. to your comedy. Um, how do you balance, like, you know, how do you balance, like, what's pre-prepared and, and what's freestyle? You give yourself permission to go off script at all times. Um, when I was in, so I just did a show in Berlin. And whenever I could, I took the existing material and made a Holocaust reference. <laughs> like, whenever I could. I'm, nice. You know, I'm a Jewish comic in Berlin. Sure. I mean, I opened the show by saying, like, yeah, I, you know, landed at the airport and I was like, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there going, oh, it's so nice to be here in a progressive country with an intelligent leader yeah. that welcomes Jews. And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> you know, and then sure. I get on the train from the airport and I'm like, now I'm, a tr- now I'm a Jew on a train in Berlin excited about it. And so it just, you know, it, yeah. it, it sets the tone for if you do that up front, especially then people don't think everything is prepared. And so when you do the prepared material, you're telling a story, it just looks like you're telling a story. And it creates the illusion of spontaneity. That's so much what stand-up comedy is. Mm -hmm. It's creating the illusion of spontaneity every single time. And so the more you can have little asides, going to the crowd, you know, et cetera, the more that illusion becomes reality. Like when I do a show before the Q&A, Regards to the Q&A, if I'm just doing a show from start to finish, just working on my material, in an hour-long set, I maybe do three minutes off the cuff. Mm-hmm. And constantly, people will say, like, 
so is that like 50 50 plan right. and not you know because yeah. it just you make it look that way yeah yeah and i think i mean i think that's another metaphor for the rest of life right like yeah you kind of have your plan but if people feel like it's a plan yes then you you know you're not going to win them over well and also giving yourself permission to deviate from the plan yeah um that seems really hard for people to do, probably myself included, if I think about it. It, it is. It is a very hard thing to do. Um, first of all, having a plan is important. Sure. Uh, having a plan is very important. One yeah. of the, business-wise, when it comes to comedy, um, one of the things I, I talk to other comics about is the idea of road mapping. Mm -hmm. And the idea of, like, when you give directions to somebody. You know, we're sitting here in West Hollywood, all right? And if we were to say, how do you get to the valley from here? Right. You could say, well, go north. Yeah. Or you could say, you know, take Fairfax. When you're on Fairfax, take a left on Sunset. Yeah. Then you get to Laurel, and then you take that. Up. Like, sure. having specific direction is very important. And a lot of people don't do that when it comes to their career. They just, and comedians as well, they'll be like, I want to play more colleges this year. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, how many? Mm -hmm. I know, five more? Be like, okay, how many colleges do you have to reach out to before one of them says yes? Usually it's like one in 20. Like, okay, so you don't want to play more colleges a year. You want to contact 100 of them. Yeah. That is your goal, yeah. to contact 100 of them. So you need to contact a college one out of every three days, and you will reach your goal. Simple as that. So as somebody that's figured that out, why is that so hard for everyone? Um, it's not easy for me either. Sometimes you wake up, and you just don't want to do things. You know, sometimes, sure. sometimes yeah. you wake up, and... You, it's funny because I say this as someone who hates working out and rarely does it, but a great metaphor is the second you put on your sneakers to go to the gym, you're on your way to the gym. Right. And so, like, okay, just, you know, finishing the last draft of my book, for two weeks, I was like, ah, I'm going to work on it today, and then I didn't. Mm -hmm. And then finally I opened the file one day, and for eight hours that day, I was like, ah, and I was excited to work on it because yeah. I had started to. And so I think you know, one of the things that makes it difficult is work ethic is a very tough thing. Mm -hmm. And to have to, to work constantly. And so for me, it's find what you enjoy about the work. I don't like emailing people back and forth about the business of things. They sure. wish it was just done for me. Yeah. But I love the results. And yeah. so when you think about it as like, this allows me to get the results, then you can excite yourself. And whatever people, some people love behind the scenes, some people love, you know, whatever it is that people enjoy, mm -hmm. just find what it is you like about that and lean, lean into that. Do you manage yourself? Or do you, I mean, like some of this makes it sound... So I have a manager, yeah. I have a couple agents for different things, you know, I have literary, I have college, I have sure. theatrical, um, but at the same time, I've always been hands-on, and until... Two years ago, I didn't have anyone except for my college agent. Yeah. Actually, less than that, I think, until like a year and a half ago. Yeah. And so I was always doing stuff on my own. Mm -hmm. And even now, I still do a lot of the communication because I'm just so used to that. And also, yeah. I'm a producer as well. You right. know, I produce television and film and things like that. Mm -hmm. So there are some things as a businessman I do have to do. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I've always been very hands on just because I don't always trust other people and I'm trying to learn how to give up that control and put it in someone else's hands which is but that's a tough thing for me to do I imagine especially 
you know, when you, you started out a certain way and it, and it got you to a certain point. Yeah. I think like, you know, my, uh, what I've learned, you know, observing successful people is that there's the right balance to that, right? That when we hang on to the things that have worked in the past too much, yeah, then they become our obstacles moving forward. At the same time, you have to honor some of that, right? Like, and, and I think there's, especially in, you know, creative people and, you know, there's been this expectation that, that's maybe changing to some extent, but that, you know, I'm going to let the manager handle that or the agent or the producer yeah. or the record label or the whoever, right? And I just focus on making my art. And I don't think that's really true either. I think... Um, you have to do a little, a little of both. One thing I don't know if I'll ever give up handling is my own travel. Yeah. Because I know what I'm willing to deal with. Yeah. Like the idea, I, I did it once. I hired someone who was doing that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, she had me on this, like, 6 a.m. flight because it saved $15. Right. And I was like, look, the cheapest flight, great idea. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. if it's three hours later for $15, I'm pretty sure I'd pay 5 bucks an hour to sleep in a little bit. Right. And so there's, you know, to know the balance that I'm willing to deal with sure. is a tough thing. Yeah. So uh, so there are elements that I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever give this up. But you, you do, like, I edit my own videos, for instance. Mm. And there's part of me that wants to just hire someone to do that. And then I'm like, oh, but the, you know, the creative art and what I want to put out there might be a little different than what they do. Mm-hmm. But then when you think about it and you go, yeah, but the time you save, you can do other good things. Right. So anything you lose on that, you'll gain on something else. Yeah. So you have to, yeah. you have to be willing to give it up. Yeah, I think that's another, you know, thing that's really hard for creative people is we have this sort of. I, you know, I guess we call it perfectionism, right? But it's really yeah. about, like, you've got this vision. And I think it's really hard for people to separate what's essential to that vision and what's what's maybe more peripheral. Yeah, and and also have to be able to find someone who can understand your vision. And who can bring their own creativity to it, but who yeah. can still understand your vision. So, I, so are you a good collaborator? And, and how do you, what do you do to be a good collaborator? It's a good question. Um, I mean, I take other people's suggestions. If if there's a good suggestion, I don't care where it comes from. I don't care if it comes from, you know, someone coming up to me after a show and be like, hey, here's an idea, you know, or it comes from like a close friend who knows my stuff well. If there's a good suggestion, there's a good suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't fight for something just because it's my idea. Um, I want it to be the best. Yeah. Now, the thing is, with, with like editing the video, like that's not a collaboration. That's literally, I would give it to someone and be like, make it good. Yeah. And then it would come back to me. And so if it's a collaboration, you're spending just as much time as you would if you just be like, I'll just do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, would I like help on it? Absolutely. But if I'm paying for someone to help on it and I'm also spending the time, right. that's not what I need right now. Yeah. You know, what I need right now is for someone to take some stuff off my plate. Yeah. Um, when it comes to collaboration, I mean, I've co-written scripts with people. Mm-hmm. I've... You know, I produced a TV show for Fox where my... That was laughs? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I was EP. Yeah. And then my producer, I handed it to him, you know, and I, I liked a lot of his ideas. And what I would do is every first cut was his. Mm-hmm. And every now and then I would be like, nah, move this here and change this. But 90% of it was his vision because he was good at it. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I stepped back and I let him do it. Yeah. Um. But, you know, I let him do the job I hired him for. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why hire him? That's so hard for so many people. It's like, you know, yeah. yeah, you just see people doing 
the but, work of, of people that they've hired. Yeah, but if someone's good at it, yeah. you know, it's funny. It's, it's, I don't know which is more difficult, to have a boss or to have a staff. Right. Because yeah. if you have a boss, you have to play to someone else's agenda. If you have mm-hmm. a staff, you have to be willing to let them do their thing. So it's, it's, it's difficult to, sure. be, to, to have both. Absolutely. Is there one, uh, you know, obviously you have, you have uh, success happening in so many areas, writing, producing, comedy. Is, do you let any of those go at a certain point? Or, or is no. It, no. No. I, I'm going to do stand-up till I die. Actually, when I can't do stand-up anymore is when I want to die. Yeah. Like, if I ever got to the point where I wasn't there anymore, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't there enough to do stand-up, that would yeah. be... That'd be it. Yeah. You know, pull the plug. Yeah. Or if I'm not on life support, do something that would make me on life support and then pull the plug. Okay. But I, I, I think I love creating something out of nothing. Um, it's part of, you know, one of my hobbies is woodwork. I mm. love, and nothing intricate. I just like building, you know, I built my dining like room ashtrays. table. No, no, no. Uh, a wooden ashtray? It's a terrible <laughs> idea. Uh, so It's like flame retardant. Uh, yeah, it's still, uh, you know, that's, you can probably go ceramic I on know. that. I mean, uh, what did we make it? Wood shop? Like a... Well, I, I, built, like, I built my dining room table. Oh, I, wow. I built like, uh, like a, a thin TV cabinet. Oh, cool. You know, st- just stuff like that, like yeah. useful stuff around the house. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I built my, uh, I built my ex-girlfriend a... Uh, a coffee table that turns into a dining room table because she oh, had a nice. studio apartment and so she was like deciding between the two and I was like why don't I make a transformer wow and so you're actually good at that I'm I'm, I'm decent yeah. you know I'm I'm passable uh-huh. and so but what the reason I love it is because a it's building something that didn't exist yeah you know it's taking something like it's taking a pile of wood and turning it into a piece of furniture and just it's something useful yeah but also because it's done and unlike comedy, unlike any of the art that I do, right. it's never, it's never done. done. Yeah. And so what I loved about it was that like, and you know, they're always toward the end, there are always a ton of little tweaks about like, ah, oh, I should put, you know, I gotta make sure the legs lock so that it mm-hmm. doesn't tip and you know, all those little things. But once I did that, I was kind of like, all right, I can't think of anything else to do to it. So now it's done. That's great. Yeah. And you know, and I, I like that. And yeah. it's similar with whether it's a movie or a TV show or, or a piece of standup. Being able to just create something out of thin air is what I love. Is that important to have, like, you've got this woodworking hobby, right? Like, to have something in your life that's totally unrelated I think so. to your work? I think so. I yeah. think it's, and even if, even though it's not something I do often, mm-hmm. um, I think it's, it's nice that I can just disappear into the garage for eight hours and you know, come out with a table and yeah. and feel good about it. Yeah. Um, and feel a sense of accomplishment that's not tied into my career. Mm-hmm. Because the, and especially with social media now, the, that high you get when you get the new notifications, when sure. you get the, you know, yeah. being able to not have to rely on that to feel good about yourself yeah. is, I think, very important for anyone. And so whatever someone's career is, being able to have an outlet that has nothing to do with their career. Yeah. You know, whether it is building something, collecting something, playing a sport, whatever it is, mm-hmm. something that is completely unrelated that also gives you joy is important. Yeah. So like heavy drinking. Yeah, heavy drinking, yeah. I think. Uh, look, if you can be the best at something. <laughs>
Yo, that's Steve Hofstetter killing it. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, if you want to go back in the Rebel Radio archives, check out another really funny comedian, Brandon Wardell. I had him on, I think it was maybe a year ago. He's got some great stories about um, self-awareness and, and, and how to really build his team, how he's building his team around him. Good stuff uh, with Brandon Wardell, if you want to check that one out. You mentioned social media, and I know that's something you're really good at. And, Thank you. and your YouTube, I think I saw it's over 50 million views. Probably uh, 75 now. Nice. Um, so what should other uh, comedians learn from you about YouTube and social media in general? Um, first of all, content is king, and it always will be. Mm. The reason my YouTube worked is because I had a video go very viral, but I already had another 500 videos up there. Right. So when that went very viral, it wasn't a flash in the pan. It yeah. was like people were like, oh, let's look at what else he's doing. Mm -hmm. um, also, and this is another thing, the untrained eye might see, you know, oh, it's self-promotion, it's self-promotion, it's self-promotion. But if you look carefully at my strategy, it's not intrusive. What do you mean? Um, I do not ever share a link somewhere it should not be shared. Mm. You know, I will never post a video on someone else's Facebook wall. Mm -hmm. I will never uh, approach a celebrity I've never met and be like, can you share this? Right. I'll never do that. Yeah. Because to me, that is the equivalent of putting a poster for your show on someone else's front door. It is obnoxious and it's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. It won't work. Mm -hmm. People like when it's organic. And so will I share a video to the appropriate Reddit community? Absolutely. Yeah. Do I have no shame about, you know, sharing my own stuff? Abs I, I have none at all. Mm -hmm. um, you are your own best mouthpiece. But you have to be thoughtful about how you do it. I will not add someone on my email list who did not ask to be there. Mm -hmm. they, they may have been drunk and forget that they asked to have been there. Um, but... I will not be intrusive with my promotion. Yeah. And I think that's very important. Um, oh, and content 90% of the time, promotion 10% of the time. Yeah. Is that, um, you know, you, you use the word strategy. So, uh, uh, yeah. like, did you, did you spend time sort of developing a strategy? Was there a moment where you're like, I got to figure this out or did it just, are you looking just in the all organically yeah just you know as it happened as i learned um you know one of the big things that went viral for me early was myspace mm -hmm. and i would see all these people you know adding people on myspace and just be like sending fault sending just disingenuous messages i saw you know from the music in your profile that you might like our band be like really i don't mention music in my profile you yeah. fucking dick yeah. You didn't need to say that. You didn't need to lie. Right. You could, and so what I would do is when I would add people, I would I would just send them a message that was just like, "Hey, I'm a stand-up comic. This is what I do. If you are inclined, I'd love for you to check out my video. And if not, no worries. Mm -hmm. No harm done. Yeah. You know, you you come off <coughs> polite. You come off humble. You come off, you know, as a person, as a human, mm -hmm. who's just doing a thing, mm -hmm. and I think I, you know, I learned from watching other people fail how to succeed. Yeah. And that's, it's funny because I'm like, you come off humble, but like, oh, I'm a success. Um, 
but you know the idea is that you need to be a human being first yeah. and a promoter and artist second mm -hmm. um i have a like a little lightning round i want to get to yeah before sure wrap up but um but is there one i mean you've talked about like i mean there, i can see a roadmap as you're yeah. talking right is there one decision you think that's had the biggest impact in your career path um yeah but it was it was an accident <laughs> um I mean, it was like, there was like a series of decisions. So, uh, I, Justine, who's a, you know, well-known vlogger and yeah. personality. So when she was in college and I was a, a first year comic, uh, we dated briefly mm. before either of us were doing anything. Yeah. And she thought it would be funny. This is before anyone was on any social media. And she thought it would be funny. So this was 2004, I think. She thought it would be funny. She made me a MySpace profile, and she made Ashton Kutcher a MySpace profile. Okay. And she had them comment on each other's profiles as this was to make me laugh. Yeah. And she did it really well. It was like, you know, he was like, hey, Broheim, you know, yeah. I, uh, I hate that I missed your show in L.A. I'm oh so God. sorry. Next time you're through, you got to hit me up. And I was like, no worries, man. I know you were out of town this week. You know, come back in a couple months. You know, yeah. we'll hang then. All of a sudden, all these teenage girls were like, you know Ashton Kutcher, this is amazing. Like, it's not like these were, they were just searching for Ashton yeah. Kutcher. They would yeah, find yeah. the profile and then they would find me. And so I realized the power of social media from that. So when Facebook hit, uh, it was Christmas Eve 2004. I'm Jewish, so I was bored. <laughs> and I had shows upcoming at University of Florida and Muhlenberg. And yeah. they were both just added to the Facebook platform. This is when it was just a couple schools. Mm -hmm. So I started just randomly adding people at those two schools. And all of a sudden, they were adding me back. And I like not just them, but their friends. And I was like, oh, shit. And so I launched this. And this was the idea that changed everything. I launched a quest for 10,000 friends mm. as a joke. Yeah. And it was this social experiment of like, what does the word friend really mean? Mm -hmm. You know, I thought it was funny. I thought it was interesting. It's a way to get people at shows. You know, it was a combination of all of that. And within two weeks, I had, I think, 15,000. And so then I, and I was writing for College Humor at the time, mm -hmm. which gave me this platform. And sure. so I created a quest for 100,000 friends. And I ended up with 200,000. It became this crazy cultish thing. Nice. This is before anyone is mass friending. And so, uh, I actually still have the record for Facebook friends because they have that 5,000 limit. Mm -hmm. So to this day, no one has gotten more than 100,000. I got, I got 200. And every now and then, there'll be like a random article in some random language that'll mention that. You know, and I'll get all these messages from people in languages I can't speak. Right. Um, Helpful. But yeah, but that, that Christmas Eve. Um, and look, I've done a lot of little things that have led to other things. Sure. The putting the videos up on YouTube, you know, putting the, but the, that zany friend quest mm. changed so much. Yeah. And um, the way my friends described me in college was, uh, so I, I was president of my fraternity and we would have these executive board meetings. And the running joke was every meeting I had a hundred ideas and 99 of them were so fucking dumb, mm. but one was brilliant. Mm -hmm. And their job as an executive board was to figure out which one the brilliant one was. Yeah. 
And I have done so many, I had so many ideas for promotion that failed miserably. Mm -hmm. My favorite one that failed was, you ever go to a restaurant and you see headshots up of people you've yeah. never heard of? Yeah. And you're like, there's no way right. someone, because I've looked up some of these people and it's like, oh, they were not on nothing. There's no way they came in right. and the waiter was like, oh my God, totally. it's the extra from Falcon Crest. And so I got this idea of like, maybe I could just send some. This is literally before I've done any television, uh, before anything. And so, and I tried it as an experiment in Bloomington, Indiana, because I had played a club there a lot. And I sent to like 20 different restaurants uh -huh. with a letter saying like, pretending to be my agent. Right. Saying like, oh, Steve Hofstetter had a wonderful time last time. He was in Bloomington performing at Ferris Place. He ate at your restaurant. Yeah. And, you know, we just wanted to send you this as a thank you. And That's one great. place, one Chinese restaurant put it up. Uh-huh. Uh, and all the others just threw it out and ignored <laughs> it. And that one just, I mean, and maybe it could work now because I actually have a decent profile. Sure. But just the idea of, I was like, I thought, I was like, this is such a great idea. And I was like, no, this is, that cost me like 40 bucks in postage <laughs> and prints and all that stuff. Sure, so, yeah. you know, it didn't work. But yeah, on the surface, that. you go, what a brilliant, no, that's right. fucking dumb. Yeah, but sometimes you got to try that stuff. To, exactly. To and and my career is littered with the carcasses of ideas. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. That's, that's important. I mean, what I take from what you're saying is date an internet celebrity. Absolutely. If you're listening <laughs> she wasn't out famous there, then. She wasn't right, famous. But you had the foresight. We broke up long before oh, she really? was famous. Yeah. Right. We went out for like a month or two. We're still friends. Yeah. Um, I mentioned in, uh, in her book. Oh, nice. Cause, well, because she tells that story, uh -huh. the whole Ashton Kutcher thing. Because it was that's like her story. early days of the internet before she blew up yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, and what's funny also is, and I'd say this is important, right now, some of the people listening to this are like, oh, that's great, and I'm going to check out all this stuff. Yeah. And some of the people listening to this are like, that pretentious piece of shit, I hate him. I hate him so much. Yeah. Because not everyone likes everything. Sure. And letting go of the idea that they're all going to like me yeah. is very important in whatever you do. Mm -hmm. um, understanding that... Uh, Jay Black described me once as binary, mm. which I loved that description because yeah. people either get it or they don't. Sure. And being okay with the fact that the vast majority of the world is going to look at me and be like, I hate that fuck. And that's fine mm -hmm. because there are 7 billion people in the world. Yeah. And, and there's also, you don't need a lot of them. There's also, I always think back to that, uh, uh, that scene in, in Private Parts, Howard Stern movie, where yeah. they were like, uh, you know, people that love him listen for 30 minutes and the people that hate him listen for 90 minutes. Yeah. Right? And I think, not that you're, I wouldn't call you like a shock. Well, the people comedian. who hate me don't listen at all, in my case. Sure. Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. But they may comment and post and like... There, there's, right, there's definitely some, um, but I also try to foster a culture on my YouTube of the assholes get shouted down. Yeah. And so... When someone's being a dick, the rest of the community... Like, if you see the like ratios on my video, it's off the charts. It's yeah. like 98%. Yeah. And the reason for that is because when someone's being a dick, they're they're quickly not welcome. Right. And yeah, because you've created a community. Yeah. Right, who that, And, and that, if that they're being a dick to each other, right. I will ban them. Yeah. You know? Because it's like, you don't... It's not about being nice to me. It's about right. being a gracious person. Absolutely. And so there are people like, I'll do... I'll do some big podcasts sometimes mm -hmm. and like I just did one um, I just did one called Drunken Peasants okay and 
Drunken peasants? Uh, drunken peasants. Oh, cool. Check and it it's funny because on that one, the ratio was interesting because it was like maybe 80 to 90% of the comments were fucking vile. Mm. Were like anti-Semitic and yeah. I mean just awesome. awful shit. Yeah. But I don't care mm -hmm. because the 10 to 20% that liked me are now fans and they're with me and they're yeah. watching my stuff and yeah. they'll be with me going forward. And so I don't care if the majority of people are not into what I'm doing because that's okay because right. comedy is subjective and everything is about taste mm -hmm. and I'm fine with that. You know what? I don't mind that like Michael Bolton had a ton of fans <laughs> when I didn't enjoy his stuff. Sure. I wasn't sitting there going, who the fuck are you listening to Michael Bolton? Yeah, so, you know, right. I was fine with it and I'm fine that it's the same, it's the same way with anybody mm -hmm. and there will be someone at your office who hates you when you've done nothing to them. Mm -hmm. And that's James. Let, yeah, yeah, that's I was thinking it was it was I didn't want to say him by name. <laughs> but uh and just you just you let it go yeah. and you move on and you're okay, you have your crew and you have the people who understand and appreciate as long as some of the best advice I ever got was lead a good life so when you look back on it you enjoy it a second time. Mm -hmm. And as long as you can do that, as long as you can sit there and be like I'm happy with the decisions I made. I've made mistakes, but they led me to where I am, and I haven't tried to hurt anybody. I've accidentally hurt some people, mm -hmm. but, you know, I haven't tried to actively, you know, do anything wrong, and I'm okay with that, and let the rest go. Yeah. That's good. That's good wisdom, which brings us to our... Well, to that, by the way, round. someone's going to comment that I'm a beta cuck, just so you know. <laughs> so That's all right. Fuck, fuck that guy. I, I love people who use uncreative insults. Because it sure. tells them so much. It tells me so much more about them than it does about me. Absolutely. Okay. What's something you used to believe and then decided that you'd been wrong? Uh, no sex without love. Nice. Well, I learned that you know, love is rare and sex is great. Yeah. So I, not, not everything needs to be an after-school special. That's a good one. Um, what talent have you always wished you had more of? Singing. I can't sing. Okay. I can't sing. And it's just... Have you tried in front of people? Like on stage? Oh, no. God, no. I also hate comics who are just like, let me just throw a little song into my act. Yeah. You know, it's just, oh, uh, yeah, fuck yeah. you. You're, you're not... I hate musicals for that reason. Yes. The idea that it's so weird. Yeah. When that, like, just we're just having singing. a conversation and then one of us starts singing. Yeah. Like, no. That's... Like, if someone did that in real life, oh, that would be fun to write a musical where when someone starts doing that, everyone is just like, what are you... <laughs> what? What are you doing? Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> we always told you to stop. You're, what do you... Stop showing off. Right. You lost an American Idol. Quit this shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I, I would like to be able to do that just for... I mean, everything from singing someone happy birthday to mm. karaoke to... You know, there are happy a lot birthday of times is an unfair song, though. Like, there is no one that sounds good singing that. There's... Actually, especially I mean, the people who try to sound good. Yeah, who yeah, try exactly. to overdo it. Like, yeah. the happy, happy, happy birthday. Like, that's crap. Yeah, it's not about you. It's their birthday. So if you could choose another career, nothing to do with comedy, what would it be? Does talent matter? Um, if you knew you couldn't fail. If I knew I couldn't fail? Yeah. Oh, I'd pitch for the Mets. Yeah? Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. If I worked for you on your team or, mm -hmm. or whatever, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Um, that's interesting. Because, I mean, there's there's definitely, like, isms that I have. Um, Give me one. 
uh, I mean, one, you know, find work you love. You never work another day in your life. That's one that I love. Yeah. Um, I'd have to think about it because it's, it's one of these one. things that like I say them and like as I'm saying it, I'm like, yeah, this is a thing I've said a thousand times, but like I don't sure. have stuff that I go to. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as a staff member, you would, you know, you would definitely hear me say thank you mm. because uh, that's the only way the only way people are ever going to work for you is if they know that they're appreciated. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, I, I appreciate, you know, the work you did has been fantastic. Who would you be most excited to learn as a fan of your work? Oh, interesting. Um, I stole all these questions, by the way, from different podcasts, mostly. Well, uh, yeah, as long as, as long as you don't give them any credit. No, of course not. That's the most important part. No, they shouldn't have put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> Who, uh, um... That is interesting. Because on one hand, there's like, who am I a fan of? Mm -hmm. Like, it would be amazing to have like Jerry Seinfeld be a fan of mine because I love what he does. And also, you know, you, you talk about entree into whatever it is I'd want to do. But then you also, it'd also be fun to see like how pervasive, like, wouldn't it be fun to find out that like Justin Trudeau was a huge fan? Sure. Because, like, I mean, I also, you know, seem to, he seems like a good dude. Yeah. And then I could just perform in theaters in Canada whenever yeah. I wanted. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, this Maybe is about... Obama. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Because especially with how, how hard I've gone after Trump on my Twitter. Mm -hmm. Katrina Pearson, his former spokesperson. Yeah. Uh, she followed me on Twitter when I found out. I made a whole, like, hashtag campaign to get her to unfollow me. Yeah. And she wouldn't unfollow me. No like, I, I tweeted all these jokes about him. Yeah. Where I said, like, I was like, I tweeted, I said, uh, Donald Trump isn't fit to be president of a condo association. Uh, like I said, when, you know, if Trump were running against Palpatine, I'd vote Palpatine. <laughs> like, all kinds of, she didn't yeah. unfollow me. And then finally, I realized, like, a year later, she was still following me. And uh, so then I said that it was amazing that she did all that shilling and she didn't get hired in his administration, even though she's a partisan hack. Mm. And then she unfollowed me. Nice. Like found it. I found right. her weakness. That's great. Um, you mentioned Seinfeld, and, and yeah. Uh, so if you got the call to be on Comedians in Cars getting coffee, yeah. What kind of car would you be in? I could choose any car. Um, it's funny because the like the the part of me that just wants to drive in a cool car, yeah. You know, maybe like a maybe like an old Mustang. Oh, nice. Um, but the part of me that is like a like a producer and director is like a giant SUV, so it's a better shot because you have more room in right. the shot. You know. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, what, what I've noticed on that, like, he tries to pick a car that he think reflects the guest in some oh, way. Okay, so oh, uh, probably a Toyota Corolla. Okay. Which is awesome. the car I drive. Awesome. It's you know it because it is. It's not flashy and it's very reliable. Sure. Uh, and that's what a road comic needs. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite city to travel to? I know we just talked about travel a bit. Um, I had a I had a ton of fun in Cape Town mm. because comedy is new there. Oh yeah. And yeah, I mean they've only had democracy for sure. twenty years. Yeah. And so free speech is kind of a precursor to comedy. Yeah. yeah. And the comedy scene there is about five to ten years old. Yeah. And actually probably about 10 years old now. But what's amazing and so interesting, just as a, I'm a fan of the game. Yeah. And there are two scenes that exist at the same time. 
it's basically comedy in the 80s in the States, which was that hacky, silly tie, you know, sound effects, say anything for a laugh, because it's a brand new scene, and so sometimes people are doing anything they can to get a laugh. But also there are people there who are listening to podcasts and Mm -hmm. who are getting influenced by YouTube videos and seeing what comedy is globally now. And so this smart, intelligent, you know, the the wordsmith scene exists at the same time as the pratfall scene which is so cool it's it's just so interesting and sometimes it'll be on the same show yeah it's just fascinating to me as a as a fan of the art oh that's awesome what's the last great book you read um i have been uh reading quote unquote uh the audiobooks for game of thrones okay um, I'm a huge fan of the show and yeah. I decided I would and what's great is because I was like oh maybe I'll you know pass the time I had these like last summer I had these like incredibly long road trips I was driving like 10 hours at a time mm. and I'm still I'm, I'm about to be done with book three and it's like a year and a half later <laughs> since uh-huh. that started but every time I'm driving you know when I have a show in Long Beach you know I'll drive down and listen to 45 minutes of it and yeah. so it's you know when I'm doing the dishes I'll throw it on and sure. it's, yeah it's a good it's a great way to pass the time and oh man there's so much fun that's cool what movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, no question. I know every line Great from that movie. movie. I, not only do I know every line from that movie, I can even do, and I don't do impressions, yeah. but I can even do, not only can I do the impression of Cameron doing the impression of Sloan Peterson's uh-huh. dad, but I can do the TV clean version of it while he mouths the actual words he said. Yeah. Because that's how many times I've seen it, and that's how many times I've done it. It's great. Like it's oh I love that movie one of the I think one of the one of the best ever written yeah yeah me too um, last one favorite uh, DJ or or live uh, show music that you've ever seen so I'm not much of a live music person um, I I'm a big fan of things that are as good as they can be mm. and so the studio version of it it's very rare that I've been to a couple concerts and I've never been like. Oh, this one that I can't hear as well, where yeah. he made a mistake on that one chord, and yeah. some, and some assholes next to me, you know, yelling some drug-induced crazy shit. Uh-huh. This is way better than just listening to the perfect version of it, you know. Oh, this this band that's brilliant musicians but aren't funny at all, trying to be funny in between songs. Uh-huh. That makes this way better. <laughs> uh, so I I I prefer, and also to me, music is a personal thing. Yeah. And so I like listening to music alone in my car or maybe like with a friend being like, hey, I love this song and you should check this out. Um, but to me, like music with 10,000 strangers just sounds terrible. Um, I love that you said that because honestly, I feel the same way. I'm a, I'm a music guy. I've worked yeah. in music my whole life and I've and, and there are I have enjoyed many concerts. Yeah. But I I strongly prefer a not being at a concert to hear music and what's weird is that like comedy kind of has to be communal and live shows are almost always better than the recorded version right um because you're with a community and laughter is contagious but and there's an element of that at concerts where you're you know you're with a bunch of people that appreciate it also but Mm -hmm. like there's also a lot of people who are just there to to go and who are like i also I can't stand the, like, I can't stand people who, I'm fine, you want to take whatever substance you want, go for it. Sure. But if you think that inherently makes you cool, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Like, the idea of, like, I'm cool because I did drugs, it's like, we all could. Right. You know, these aren't, 
it's not hard to do. Sure. You know, it's not hard. Like, look, I've never done cocaine. Yeah. I've never been next to someone doing cocaine. If I wanted to do cocaine today, I could figure out how to go get some. And so it doesn't make you cool just to have done. And there's an element of that at concerts that drives mm -hmm. me up the fucking wall. Yeah. Um, and also, like, if it's cold out, if it's, you know, like, if there are other elements oh, that yeah. make it unpleasant. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I saw Radiohead in Atlanta, and it was... Uh, uh, oh no, sorry. I saw it was Coldplay. I saw Coldplay in Atlanta, and they were. It was like forty-five degrees and rainy. Like it was just one of these nights that just it sucked. And you know it's supposed to be nice. It was like the summer, mm -hmm. and it just sucked. And I was like, I am enjoying this, but I don't know how long I can sit here. <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? I don't know how long I can just. I also love that you mixed up Radiohead and Coldplay because I hate them both. And well, and I've been to concerts of I've seen both of them. Okay. I went to a music festival at uh, at Liberty Park in Jersey that uh, where Radiohead played. Sure. Um, and it also depends on like the artist can be better live. Like yeah. I went to a couple concerts when I was an undergrad, and I saw it was the weirdest split bill. It was Sonic Youth and Busta Rhymes. Oh, okay. And Sonic Youth was fucking awful yeah they were it was like a little rainy yeah and they were but they were under a tent mm -hmm. and they were miserable they were playing like why do i have to be here right and then buster rhymes incredible right? buster rhymes gave such a performance and brought everybody back to life yeah and it was just it I've was seen him do that yeah it was it was fun i got to be on stage while he was doing it because nice. i was crew and so i had to mop the back of the stage nice. so i was like kind of dancing behind him like an idiot i was 18 I didn't know any better. Hopefully there's a video of that somewhere. Uh, oh, God, I hope someone has that. That would be amazing. No, that's cool. I'm so glad you, you answered that that way. Thanks for doing this, man. That was so much fun. Well, I appreciate it. This uh, was a great time. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, uh, how does everyone find you? And I know you have a book coming out. Anything else we should promote? Um, I have a 128-city tour next year. Nice. Um, and that is before I've added the abroad stuff. So I'm going to also add Europe and Australia to that. Wow. Um, and if they want to go get tickets, they can check out stevehoffsetter.com because wherever you live, I will be near you. Cool. So come on out to a show and, you know, just Steve Hofsetter, even if you spell my last name wrong, Google will figure it out. Sure. And social media, YouTube, all that stuff. Killer. Awesome. Yo, that was Steve Hofstetter on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. Leave us a review on iTunes a comment on Twitter, Facebook. Check our YouTube page, Rebel Radio Net, uh, for some, some video uh, snippets of our interviews. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. <laughs>